podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast and West Ham United have got six points from six. That huge you at the beginning, which I know you all love, was because we've thrashed Burnley 1-0 and smashed West Bromwich Albion by two goals to one. We are recording this podcast just after that glorious victory against Big Sam Allardyce's men at the London Stadium. Robert Snodgrass watching on from the stadium. I'm pretty certain that I saw him cheer as Antonio stabbed home the winner. Absolutely wonderful to see Big Sam looking all glum and close to tears on the sideline. What a team we are. Seventh in the Premier League, just five points off of league leaders, Manchester United, and we are above Chelsea. Surely we're going to finish in the Champions League this season. And elite tournament as the Champions League is, I am joined by two elite friends, elite podcasters and elite blokes, James Jones and Tom Edwards. Jonesy, wonderful to see you again. I have said it before, we'll say it again. We are massive. Yeah, I think... Start planning the title party, boys. Eh? We're um, we're in amongst it all, and uh, it, it it feels great. And my heart's only just stopped racing after Conor Gallagher went down in the area in that last minute. A little cheat, tried tried to buy himself a penalty. Then he and soon as soon as the referee blew that whistle, I thought, oh, no, here we go again. Um, but yeah, so six points this week and um, something in the league and happy days, boys. Happy days. It is it's quite something. It's a bit annoying though. You sort of think well, four wins on the bounce or whatever now. And then uh, you look after the game, you're like, oh, it must be top. And it's like seventh. Flipping out. <laughs> Come seventh in 2015, 16. Tom, how are you? How's things? Uh, if you're not in a good mood after two wins on the spin, then when will you ever be in a good mood? Oh, mate. So just to see you two firstly after after a couple of cans, lovely. Uh, lovely <laughs> as it is. And, and let alone after... Uh... After a performance like that, they're the type of games we we grow up knowing. As soon as they get one, you're like, all right, excellent. Here comes <laughs> yeah. the second and the third, and they hit us on the counter. You know what I mean? And to come through those type of games, that, that makes it more... It's, it's For me, I, I get more enjoyment out of those wins than almost the Everton wins, because you just don't... I expect that one less, because uh, they're the type of team we really struggle against. So, so what a Tuesday night it is, because... That's our big problem. It's been our Achilles heel under Pellegrini and Moyes breaking down teams like that. So... Fair play to us, and we absolutely deserved it in the end. So, what what a day, lovely day! Yeah, totally. You've hit the nail on the head there, Tom. I think with the then you almost go into them not expecting to win them, and I think yeah, you're totally right. So good mm. this season, going into home games against like teams who you traditionally say you should beat on paper or whatever, um, and actually beating them. You're totally right, and I think tonight is where we were dominant. Had all the ball, their goal came from nothing. Poor defending, but. Um, absolutely brilliant stuff. Jonesy, you're adjusting your hair there, mate. Uh, is everything all right on the aesthetic front for those who watch this show on YouTube? Nah, I mean, the, the quicker the barber's open, the better, mate, if I'm <laughs> honest. Um, every day, every morning this week, I've woken up, had a shower, blow dried my hair, and I just took one of Kinnear and just gone, what an absolute state. I mean, for those that are watching on YouTube, it's um, it's getting a little bit precarious. And... Um, 
I'm very, very close to giving in because my missus is desperate to cut it. Um, and after after the job she did in in the first lockdown, I'm very, very reluctant, but I'm very, very close to just going, go on in. Here's the kickers. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if this reference here is going to go over Tom's head and under yours, James, age-wise, but you do look a bit Johnny Bravo-esque, I must admit, right now. Yeah, I'm no, I do. I do. Just a little bit, little bit, little bit blonder. And uh, I would be Johnny Bravo. So <laughs> the quiff's yeah. the same size, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Vertical. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, lads, we'll, yeah. um, we've got loads to cover on tonight's show, so we better get into it quickly. Uh, we'll do the Burnley and West Brom uh, review in this first section, just for a change, because we've got loads to cram in. So just a quick rundown of what is coming up on the show. We'll do the housekeeping. In a minute, as usual, we'll review the Burnley game briefly, the West Brom game in a bit more detail. We'll announce the winner for the New Year shirt giveaway. And what we're actually going to do, it's going to be really exciting because we've narrowed it down to three. We've picked three names out of a hat. There's three finalists and I'm going to leave it to James and Tom to do the picking. They don't know the three left. They don't know the system yet, but I'll reveal all when we get to that at the end of this introduction segment and someone of you lucky listeners is winning a West Ham shirt from this season for free we'll do a brief rundown on the transfers but that will be brief because as any of you who've listened to this podcast know I don't like transfers I especially don't like West Ham transfers because we never actually do any so we'll do that very briefly we have actually put in an offer for a player that will of course get rejected because it's miles under his actual value then we have got one of the greatest interviews I think we've ever had on this podcast we've got Kieran Maguire the host of the Price of Football podcast he's a football finance expert me and Tom spoke to him earlier in the day on Tuesday so you don't hear from Jonesy but it doesn't matter what me Tom or Jones you've got to say because the stuff Kieran has got to say on David Gold, David Sullivan and Karen Brady and the finances of the club, the way things are done, the transfers it is a real eye-opener and he really, really, really gives some good insight into why those four directors were recently appointed. All friends and family of David Gold, David Sullivan and Kieran Maguire gives an excellent take on why he thinks that had happened. Not good news for some of you hoping that it was the early signs of a GSB sale, unfortunately. The Betway Charity Bets comes up next and boy, did we have a winner? If you follow us on Twitter, you'll know what's happened already, but we'll go into that in more detail later on. Another significant amount of money added to the pot for the West Ham charities that me and the lads are playing for. We'll have Glenn from the popular stand fanzine, the Doncaster Rovers podcast, to chat about our game with Donny in the FA Cup, Saturday, January the 23rd, three o'clock kickoff, where James Jones is the quiz master on Name That Game. There was a stewards inquiry in the week to see what happened with the points last week, and it's good news for James. We'll have a little mini head-to-head aside from the main game to decide uh, that confusion from last week. We'll wrap up with Catherine Bat, Daily Mail sports journalist and WSL expert for the West Ham women section. We'll have some brief fantasy Premier League updates on the end as we're midway through a double game week at the moment. And then we'll say goodbye and remind you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and review, etc, etc, as we do already. So, lads, loads coming up 
in the show tonight. Uh, housekeeping is first, as I said, do follow us on Twitter, please, at we are underscore West Ham. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. The link to that is in the podcast description. So just scroll up on your podcast and you'll find a link to our YouTube. You know, it'd be really nice this week, actually, if uh, if you hear all this and go, hurry up, we'll get through this. I want to get to the good stuff. Uh, can you actually go and subscribe to the YouTube this week? Just, just consider it as that I'm asking you, just as a favour. It won't take too much time out of your day. Uh, so that would be nice. Scroll down to the uh, podcast description, subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Twitter, like I said, and leave us a review. If you haven't already, we had loads in uh, in the week as part of the competition. Uh, but if you just want to leave us a review, say some nice words, that will be great. James Jones, the Burnley uh, review we were going to do first, but I've changed my mind. I thought, no, we'll go with West Brom. West Brom's fresh in the mind. Burnley is old news now. It's one win at a time. We're a winning machine football club. West Brom Albion just finished. You're obviously still buzzing from it. Thoughts? Just as well, mate, because I can barely remember the Bernie game after <laughs> was yeah. it what, four days ago. I can bet I had to Google it a minute ago just to remember what happened. But um, no, the West Brom game has just finished. It's uh, it looked very, very much like it for, like it was going to end up like a lot of our home games uh, this season. Where we've huffed and puffed. And it's even not been enough, or we've or we've struggled to to get a result. Um, but I thought even even though we had to what wait until what just after the hour to to get the, the second goal, uh, I thought it was a very very good performance. I don't think I don't think West Brom threatened us that much. Um, they did have that that chance for Furlong to equalise. I think not long after Antonio had scored. But other than that, I thought it was a it was a very very good performance. Not our best by by any by any means, but. A good home performance, lovely three points. Uh, and I've just seen that as I speak, Chelsea are losing, which means that tonight we could stay in seventh as things stand. So, yeah, good performance all round. Good to see Bowen on the score sheet. Antonio's back. It's just been it's just been a really, really good week, hasn't it, lads? And, uh, yeah, hopefully it continues. Amazing what you can do with a centre-forward who actually tries and wants to score goals for your team, isn't it, Jonesy? Yeah, there? But, absolutely. Uh, Tom, the obviously Jared Bowen got the opener with a fantastic chested effort from mere yards out. Vladimir Kufal uh, proving once again that he is a football genius with a nice little cross. The Pereira goal, bad defending. That was annoying. Just let him run and then shoot. Ball be it was a good finish for sure. But yeah, just so nice to see us come back. And like you said, you've hit the nail on the head already, Tom. Not just that's it, game over. It's just so nice to go, no, we're the better team here. All right, we've had a setback, but we're going again because we are better and we will score again. It's exactly that. And uh, a moment with what we're saying, a moment which I remember, it's about the 58th, 59th, 60th minute, and they just they just equalise and the ball goes out. And Moy, the ball goes out of play and Moyes and Pierce are running to get the ball, throwing it back at Cresswell, intensity, desire to win, knowing that we're the better side and actually believing that we can go for it. I mean... I'm a big fan of Ben Rama. The change for Yarmolenko is absolutely the right thing to do in the end. He he provided that bit of heart, that bit of bollocks to get to make that happen with that big header at the back post. He showed a bit of quality um, and he made the right call. It's a big call. Every West Ham fan loves Ben Rama and we know he's a good player, but it was a good call at a big moment and he did it early enough to give him a chance to impact the game. 
And exactly what we've said, we dominated the game from start to finish. It's a good finish from the bloke. I mean, it's poor defending, but he's hit it from 25 yards very sweetly. I mean, that's not going to go in every week. Yeah. Other than that, I can't really remember a chance. Um, we're never we're against a side like that. You're never going to get five or six golden chances and break them from the halfway line and have one on ones. That's that's not the side they are. They're, they're never going to give you that because of how deep they sit. So we created enough chances and look really positive. And, and having Antonio is a real difference maker. I think however much money we had this window, if we were going to spend 50 million on a striker, I don't think we'd get anyone more suited to us than Antonio. So we've got to wrap him up in cotton wool and make sure that we use his minutes very wisely. And uh, particularly against a side like Doncaster, who doesn't come on because he, he he's the man who can really actually fire us to Europe and, and cause teams all sorts of problems, which no one else will be able to deal with. Yeah, I think the moment of that game was when he was running up the pitch and someone bounced off of him and landed yeah. a full 60 yards away from where he'd actually hit him. <laughs> it's hilarious. If that, if anything sums up what he's about, it's that, isn't it? Just marauding up the pitch, uh, nice little touch, and then someone tries to tackle him. Doink, no thank you. See you later. Jonesy, uh, what was... Again, I I sort of feel... Fair enough with the, with the defending. I don't want to be too hard on it because it was a bit sloppy. But ultimately, we were the better team. And if that was a 4-1 game, that wouldn't have been harsh on West Brom, would it? No, no. I mean, just looking at the stats, we had, you know, three times the amount of shots on goal. Or just, just run like, through just those, mate. How many did we... What's the, what's the stats, the big ones just, that stand out? I actually lied there. It was just, just, over, just over twice the amount of shots on goal, not three times. But we had 14 shots to their six. Uh, we had six on target to their two, and we had 60% possession. Um, you know, pass, pass actually was a lot better. Um, so yeah, it was, it could have been, it probably could have been three or four one potentially on another day, but I mean, that has been the story of our season, isn't it? You know, we could, we haven't, you know, come out of a game going, oh, you know, we, we haven't, you know, lacked creativity, we haven't created enough chances, but every single game we're creating enough chances, it's just. Converting them that, that in the end has been a bit of an issue, but at the same time we are still grinding out the grinding out the results. So yeah, I, th- I think you know, it's, it's a bit disappointing that we've lost our little clean sheet record and and uh, Craig Dawson, you know, no longer has a, a spotless record as a West Ham player. But you know, he's it from twenty five yards, as Tom said. You know, they, they don't go in every week. You know, he's it well. Yeah, we should have closed him down, but. No, I'd have been I would have been more annoyed if it was a scrappy goal from a corner or something and gone off of someone's arse or something. You know, so it is what it is. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I always say that uh, whenever you get into a situation, I with defending, I think if you as long as you make the striker or the whoever it is do something good to score, then I think you've done your job, haven't you? And it, like you say. You have made him do something good. We could have shut him down more. I do think so. But if uh, he's still, like you said, he's pinged it in from 25 yards. It's one of those where, where your position is wrong and you let him in for a tap in. That's the sort of thing that annoys me. But uh, no, I do agree. Tom, just quickly, uh, one thing that sort of emerged after the game, we were getting set up uh, for this, but the it was some talk, uh, the commentary saying that, you know, Robert Snodgrass isn't allowed to play because it was that was part of the deal that took him to West Brom earlier this month. Now, forgive me. uh, My take on it is this jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. It's a permanent deal and in permanent deals, you can't include clauses like that. Clauses like that, that say you can't play against your parent club 
can only be included on loan deals. Obviously, we're not his parent club anymore. We're just another team that he used to play for. Uh, Sam Allardyce come out after the game and said that it wasn't because of that. And there's a bit of confusion about it and, and the Premier League might be investigating. Yeah, so basically when the, it came out uh, in all the predicted lineups from all, all reputable journalists and everyone suggested Snodgrass would play. And later on, obviously today, uh, Snodgrass wasn't involved at all in the match day squad and he was sat up in the stands. And Allardyce after the game actually admitted that it was some kind of clause that we'd done in the deal, which meant that uh, Snodgrass actually would, wouldn't be allowed to play as, as because of the deal we'd done with them. So... I believe that the, it's obviously early, it's straight after the game, but the Premier League is supposedly in, investigating the transfer now and investigating the clause in the contract um, to see if it's legitimate and to see to see how much legality is behind that. But from my understanding is it's, it's a contract done up between two football clubs. And, and if we put that as part of the deal, I mean, I don't know if, if that's illegal or not. Because I think it is. All, I thought it was. So I think, so whether or not... what. what what retrospectively might happen, who knows? But I think what the problem might be from the West Brom side of the camp is how how late they knew that that was actually a thing that they'd have to abide by. So they may well have planned all week with him in the side and then their owners tapped Allardyce on the shoulder this morning and said, look, the, the Sullivans were going to make us pay five million if he played this game type of thing or, or, or whatnot. So maybe leave him out. So no one actually knows right now the actual in, in intricacies of it quite Literally, but Allardyce effectively came out and admitted that there was some kind of thing which prevented him from playing Snodgrass today. Obviously, we all know he played against Wolves for them and was a big factor in their win. Um, but it's a bit of a weird one to watch out for. I'm not sure it will be as severe as point introduction or anything like that, but maybe a fine that's going to come our way and another bit of shady business that we've done uh, backhandedly. Well, look, as we always do on the We Are West End podcast, or as me and James always do on the We Are West End podcast, we won't jump to conclusions yet and we'll let the facts come out. <laughs> but <laughs> Tom Edwards go already. I can just picture, though, you saying about their owners letting them know. I can just picture Moisey just going, tucking, ducking his head around their dressing room door earlier on. Snobby's there, all ready to go in his kit. And Moisey's just gone, ah, 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 no, you won't be playing him today. Just whacking a Not bit today. of paper. Yeah, whacking a bit of paper down on the desk in the middle where all the oranges and water bottles are. Sorry, Big Sam. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jonesy, I interrupted. No, I was going to say, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it came out that it was some kind of, like, gentleman's agreement between the two clubs, like, just away from the, you know, yeah. pen and paper and the contract, just, to, yeah, yeah, you know what, you can have him. And I'm pretty sure the Premier League can't, can't if that's just a gentleman's agreement off the record, yeah. Quite a cry. If you can have him on a cheap, then surely they can't get involved uh, in that sort of thing. And you know, if it wasn't a contract, then surely the Premier League would have stepped in before it was signed anyway, because it has mm, all contracts yeah. have to go through the Premier League before so to, to be able to be sanctioned. So it'll be, I'm sure, I'm sure it's an off the record. David Sullivan, yeah, it might be a bit of a dodgy deal, but it's one of the first good ones he's done, I would have thought, because I think he would have made a difference for West Brom. He would, he would have scored. So, um, he would have I agree with you. He that. would have scored. I was thinking it. I was thinking it this morning. I was like, Snodgrass is going to have a blinder tonight. But um, but yeah, it, it sounds like it's just a gentleman's agreement. And you know, um, I'm pretty sure Snodgrass didn't mind either because you know, so soon after leaving the club, he probably as much as he'd want to go out there and play, it might have been a bit weird for him to go out and play against all his mates. Um, but yeah, he would have been a professional about it, I'm sure. But thankfully, he didn't play, and we and we got the win. 
Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, look, a great win against West Brom. It did give me loads of satisfaction to do it. Uh, Get a win over Sam Allardyce there. Just a quick one, lads, because we have got a lot to get through tonight. But just uh, the Burnley game. Tom, uh, sort of been and gone now, as James mentioned. Seems a while ago. Good goal for Antonio. Another one where we just, we looked like the better team. We finally playing like... Uh, people always say you should beat Burnley, you should beat West Brom, you should beat these at home, blah, blah, blah. But in seasons gone by, we've just been, it's been a toss of a coin against all sorts of teams like that at home, whether we beat them or not. And it's always by the odd goal. I know it was by the odd goal against Burnley, but once again, better team, would you say? 100%. I think we were better against Burnley than we were tonight against West Brom. We, we dominated that Burnley game from start to finish. I don't really think they had any chance of note. Uh, we should have won by three or four. We we just looked like we just looked a better side. I didn't think there was any danger really of conceding. We've got two centre halves now who are so brave and good in the box. They defend there, and we got fullbacks who stop crosses and defend tight with them. And we just like a really solid unit defending against big physical sides like West Brom and Burnley from crosses. It's like you know you're going to do that. You know you're going to wear long throw-ins, and you've got a big set of six at the back now. If you include Suchek and Rice, we're going to win that. So we looked. We look solid again. Moyes picked a positive team, like very dislimited to the Brighton game. It's the polar opposite now. He's going out and trying to win these games from the off. And I think that's made a big difference. Like we'd all said, if we if we put our quality technicians in there, we'll, we'll outclass these teams. And, and lo and behold, we actually have started doing that and showing that across 90 minutes, not just sneaking it in the last five. So another one, which is a big win, a big thing for us to get done because we don't beat these sides like that. Mm. Jones, it is nice. Tom's touched on it there to see Moisey learning his lesson, isn't he? We all hounded him in the first half against Brighton. He made the change at half time after the game. Said, "Yeah, I made a mistake." Hasn't made the same mistake again since. You can't ask for any more from your manager, can you? No, of course. And that was one of our biggest worries earlier this season was that it was going to be a, a season of those sort of, you know, slow to slow to act to to the tactical developments of, of the game and it ended up costing us more than probably it had done earlier this season and that's my worry but as you said um, couldn't ask for any more from him he's, he's adapted he's learnt from his mistakes um, and he's improving the team first and foremost and most importantly he's, he's he's improving the team week in week out the players seem to love playing under him um, and it's all it's all pretty good at the moment isn't it because what's four or five months ago we would have bitten bitten this scenario off of anyone's hand wouldn't we really it was um it was a far cry from what it was wasn't it so um yeah and long matter continue because he's, he's doing a fantastic job his mice absolutely mate and i think we're always quick or we were quick um or have been to try and be measured with it but we criticize when when criticism is is due to whoever it might be players managers, staff or board um, and at mm-hmm. this time it's definitely worth giving credit to particularly David Moyes and the coaching staff I think um, and the and the players on the pitch who are, are obviously reacting but I feel like Moyes is doing a, an absolutely blinding job at the moment but lads, uh, great little review on those two games there the final bit of section one is the new year giveaway of course we announced a couple of weeks ago just to say thank you to all of you guys who listen and download the podcast every week we're giving away a west ham shirt from this season we didn't put a jot on social media so there was no one who doesn't listen to the podcast that could get involved we just announced the details on here you had to leave us a five-star review with some words on either itunes or youtube screenshot us and email 
to wearewesternpod at gmail.com and plenty of you have done it. I'm absolutely delighted. We read a couple out last week. We extended the competition and what we have done tonight, we've narrowed it down to three. So there's two, uh, two of them that are our favourite reviews and one we picked out um, out of a hat from the remaining eligible entries just want to say hello to a few people first um some of the nice ones that i read through earlier on david ogle got the first one in so hello to david martin phillips yusuf amin said and made a joke about the potato salad and thomas suchek isaac weber sri lanka hammer john hillard uh, sri lanka hammer there isaac said uh, it would have been a five star without your prompt lads great stuff uh, ben harshaw with the dead giraffe comment from a couple of weeks ago all of you got in touch i just want to say thanks christopher McHale in montana usa said he's the only west ham fan for 400 miles so massive respect to christopher thank you for getting in touch guy yardley of course as we read out uh, last week uh, the aussie who compared us all to those players um, and we're hoping to get guy on in a few weeks time just to have a chat so that'll be great but jonesy uh, I've asked you both now to, because I know you haven't seen them either of you because you would have definitely, definitely said something to me about it. So uh, I'm going to ask you, James, if you will, to read out, if you've got the emails open there, uh, Miriam Errington's reply or uh, review that she put, that she sent in. She put it up on iTunes and then sent in an email. So Josie, I'm just going to ask you to read that out to the We Are West Ham listeners, please, word for word. So I have seen this one, uh, and there's a reason why I haven't brought it up because I know what's coming. Um, uh, I didn't. I deliberately didn't mention this to you, mate. But I'm going to read it out as you've asked me to. So Miriam says, uh, "Love this podcast. My family's from the UK, and I've never really been into football. But since meeting my partner four years ago, who's a massive football fan, and discovering that my dad was a West Ham supporter, I've got right into it. I'm probably not your typical listener, female, mid thirties, and Aussie." But since tuning into your podcast each week, my football knowledge has gone through the roof. Love the weekly debrief of the games. And Will Pugh, I don't care what anyone says, you are hilarious. Keep up the fantastic work. Yeah. Very happy, Aussie Hammer, right here. I mean, when I read that, I opened up the email about last week sometime and I read that and I was like, that sounds like it could be a, a <laughs> long-lost cousin of Will, who, <laughs> from Will Pugh, yeah. who lives in Australia. Um, is there any relation any dodgy David Sullivan type deals going on beyond that little gentleman's <laughs> agreement or something absolutely none and I cannot believe you didn't flag it to my attention at the time cannot believe it at all I deleted it I tried to delete the email <laughs> absolutely wonderful stuff from Miriam all the way out in Australia there so what we've done um because Guy as well last week who we read out his review uh, Guy and Miriam they're putting some serious effort in as a few of you did uh, so we've picked our two favorites which is Guy and Miriam and also then we picked out of all of the other eligible entries we put them all in a hat we had loads and loads in but we put them all in the hat and picked out one from those which is JRS or Joshua Ryan Schroer he uh, emailed in a nice review he said he hasn't got iTunes or an iPhone but he left us a nice uh, review on our YouTube channel which is brilliant so the final three are Miriam 
from Australia, guy from Australia, and Josh Ryan Schroer, uh, who is from the UK, I believe. They're the final three. So I have got in front of me on my piece of paper, I've assigned each one of those a number. Uh, James and Tom do not know what those numbers are. So I'm going to ask you both, James, first, just give me a number between one and three, please. Two. Okay, James says two. So that has got rid of Guy Yardley. Unfortunately, Guy, you have missed out there because James has eliminated you. I'd never do that to you, Guy. I would never do that to you, Guy. Know that, yeah? Well, Tom, it's uh, it's your... Sorry, Guy. It's your turn Sorry, now. Guy. It's your turn now, Tom, to choose between number one and number three. And to be clear, the number you pick now will be eliminated from the competition, leaving us one winner left. So, Tom, between, please tell me a number between one and three. And this is the person that you don't want to win. One, number one. Number one. That is Joshua Ryan Schroer, who is out. So the Will Pugh lover Miriam wins the West Ham shirt for this season. And I swear to you, everyone at home and Tom and James, that was not a fix. I'll hold up my piece of paper here to the camera. But congratulations, Miriam Errington from Australia. You have won the We Are West Ham, uh, not the We Are West Ham shirt, the West Ham United replica shirt. But Guy, we will send you some bits out as well because you uh, put a lot of effort in. And Josh, if you get in touch, we'll give you a couple of little goodies. But congratulations to Miriam. And just know, everyone who's listening, that if you send in emails saying nice things about me, you miraculously win competitions. That's all. Can we just, can me and Jonesy just clarify the, uh, it's coming out your wage, isn't it? The postage to Australia. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all covered, of course. But we are West Ham. But just again, to reiterate, thanks everyone who entered and thanks everyone who listens, really, even if you didn't enter this time. Uh, we wanted to do a little something just for the people who download the podcast every week. So thank you very much for that. I hope you keep doing it for the rest of 2021. And stay with us, of course, on the podcast for the rest of the year. We'll have some more competitions and follow us on social media. As we've mentioned already at we are underscore West Ham, we'll be giving a few more bits away for the rest of the year but well done to Miriam but stay with us because in part two we've got transfers and that interview with football ex football finance expert Kieran Maguire So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. That was a packed introductory segment, was it not? Miriam Errington from Australia winning the replica West Ham shirt for this season. So do drop us a line with your address, Miriam, and we'll get that out in the post to you as soon as possible. Lads, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we're on to the transfer section now just briefly at the beginning of part two before we hear from football finance expert and the host of the price of football podcast kieran Maguire. tom you're the we are west ham transfer guru you know i hate transfers you know i hate transfer windows and pre-transfer windows anything involving transfers i hate it unless we're selling sebastian haller or felipe anderson what are you saying uh what, what have we been doing since we last spoke on the transfer front we've at least put in some offers for some players haven't we yeah, so basically, it's typical West Ham. We, we've gone the scattergun approach. I think we, I think something happened with Odebeko as well. He wasn't involved in the squad tonight, so it literally means we had one striker. So I think this week the club have gone out and, and gone a bit scattergun. So they put a bid in for Bulai Dia, which is apparently, as always, a bit short. 
Um, they put a bid in for Yusuf El Yazari at um, Seville, who's he's got good pedigree. He's a Moroccan striker. He's a big hold-up man. He's not quite as mobile as um, what I thought. What I thought we'd be looking to get, but good striker. He's young, good age, good profile. But I think we're about nine million off the evaluation that Seville has. That's another one which won't get done. What's the um, rough figures around that, then, Tom? So it's about we put in the bid supposedly around the 20 million mark and they're looking closer to about 27, 28, 29 million um, to sort of prize him away. And he's played Champions League football and stuff. So I can't see that one coming to fruition. A one which has just broken is um, Real Sociedad left winger. He's played for Spain. Uh, Mikel Oyafabo, I don't really know how to say it, but He's a talented player, but yet again, I think that's a £30 million mark. So all, all of these seem a bit ambitious um, and a bit scattergun. Bulai Dia seems to be the one who's leading the way for all the West Ham scouts at the minute. He's the guy who's leading the goal-scoring ranks of Mbappe out in France in Liga 1. Um, that's playing a good for Reims, so I think. I like yeah, that. exactly. There it is. Yeah, it comes out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think I think it's just scattergun approach. I think we must have panicked a bit and um, just sort of started throwing bids out for everyone and anyone in Europe. But it looks like we will get someone someone through the doors. I think this panic shows at least that they they're very determined to get someone in. So I'd be surprised if if we're just left with Antonio come the end of the window. It's just a matter of who at this time. Yeah, yeah, of course, mate. Of course, I think that's that's huge, isn't it? I, again, I, I think. With West Ham, you've got no choice but to just wait until it's done. Until they're there holding the shirt up with their name on the back saying it's done. I, I, I've always found it a little bit baffling um, or hard to get excited by potential transfers. It's just like, I don't care until they've got their name on the back of a West Ham shirt. Jonesy, uh, I was reminded earlier in this week, actually, by my girlfriend who listened back to last week's podcast. And she asked me quite innocently the other day, she said, uh, West Ham signed a striker yet then? I said, no, 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 they haven't, no, not yet. I was a little bit little bit surprised, but she, you know, she, she likes to listen to the pod every now and then, keeps up with with the West Ham scores and, and is always happy when we win. And uh, yeah, she, I said, no, 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 why is that? Like, what have you been reading up or what? She said, no, no, I was just wondering if uh, James is going to be allowed to moan at the beginning of February. <laughs> at least someone listens to me. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, at least at least I'm putting to sleep either so um, yeah great uh, I don't know I, will you be moaning at the end of Fe- at the, the beginning of February do you think yeah, I think I will be I'm moaning now I'm moaning no, that now is true because, that is true <laughs> because it's, it, frust- it frustrates me that like so Tom's just said there like suddenly you start panic panic bidding oh, Christ we've got 10 days before the window we better start throwing money at all these random players. Um, I just it just it just seems desperate all, all of a sudden. And why haven't they been looking at these players months ago? Going right, okay. Well, there's a chance that Haller might go because Dave, David Moyes doesn't particularly want him at the club or doesn't like him, doesn't suit the style of play. So we're going to look to ship him out, which means we're going to have to get someone in. They should have been doing this ages ago, and then suddenly two weeks before the window, they start just chucking bids out. Uh, and obviously, they're they're nowhere near what the what the club's going to want because obviously in January you need to overpay a little bit because no one wants to sell their best players in the middle of a season. So that's the thing that's annoying me. Um, I probably will be moaning regardless of whether we sign someone or not, um, just because it just it it's, it still reeks of complete just just no planning involved. There's no structure to our 
to our approach to any transfer window. Um, the only thing that's make, stopping me from moaning even more is the fact that we're doing quite well this season, to be fair. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see in a couple of weeks. Absolutely, mate. It's a, again, totally back, you know, total dereliction of duty if we finish January with just Mikel Antonio as a striker. Absolutely ridiculous if we do that and uh, we'll hold the, the moment until then but look I'm delighted to say that next up we've got uh, Kieran Maguire as I've mentioned already the host of the extremely popular and extremely informative Price of Football podcast he's a football finance expert he asked us not to call him that beforehand you know because he's too humble but he really knows his stuff and me and Tom spoke to him earlier today on Tuesday and asked him questions from Sebastian Haller and that transfer the way it was made up um, and instalment payments, how they tend to work with clubs. And he's got some really detailed figures on exactly how much money West Ham owed to other clubs. And you will be shocked by the amount, tens and tens of millions of pounds we still owe out to other clubs in instalments. And that is coming up next. And uh, if you, you listen, there's loads of stuff. GSB, out. It's, it's just really, really entertaining. I'm, I'm building it up because I've already done it. So, uh, yeah, that's coming up literally right now. So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And last week we told you that West Ham United had appointed four new directors. The news was pretty fresh as we were recording the episode. So we promised you that this week we'd have Kieran Maguire, football uh Price of Football podcast post knows his stuff about football finances on the pod to break down exactly what it meant for the club and for us, the fans, if it even has any impact on us at all. So I'm delighted to say that Kieran joins us this afternoon on the podcast. The new directors, Kieran, were David Sullivan Jr., Emma Benton-Hughes, which is David Sullivan's partner and David Jr.'s mother. Uh, Daniel Cunningham, which is David Sullivan's son-in-law, the husband of... Sorry, David Gold's son-in-law, the husband of Jacqueline Gold. And Charlie Cross, who I believe is a close childhood friend um, of the board. And what basically, what did you make of it initially? When you heard the news come out, what were your initial thoughts? Um... I, I think it's always good to have diversity on in the boardroom in, in what we normally call a, a, a critical friend. I it's, it's it's a bit like your mate who who you can trust, who will if you take you down the pub and say that, that bird you've just started seeing, avoid. I, I know her history. But you you want <laughs> you want somebody at board level who can stand up to the people in charge and say you're making wrong decisions. And, and therefore, independent directors are really good, especially if they can bring new skills. Um, what we've got at West Ham is keeping it in the family. And yeah, David Gold and David Sullivan, ultimately, it's, it's their company and they're entitled to appoint whichever directors they want. Um, I think you as fans, you probably judge and assess the directors on the quality of the decisions that they've made on behalf of the club. Do you think as fans that somebody's partner, mum, you know, uh, son and so on will automatically have, have the skills which are required to, to drive West Ham on to be more a more competitive club in, in the Premier League? And I think that's the, 
that, that's the question I suspect you guys to be asking yourself. And uh, keeping it in the family doesn't always work. We've seen what's happened at, uh, at places like uh, Fox, yeah, with Rupert Murdoch. How, how do you get to be a director there? You need to have the surname Murdoch. <laughs> yeah. How do you get to be in uh, in Donald Trump's uh, inner sanctum? You've got to be son-in-law. And and by by restricting the, the gene pool of talent at board level, um, I, I think you, you do come under extra scrutiny and uh, you you run the risk of, of being accused of of nepotism and not appointing the best people for the job, but appointing the people who are closest to you. So I, I think that will be the reaction of the fans. I, I don't know the skills of these people. You know, it, it could be that they, they're perfectly, uh, perfectly well qualified to uh, be a director of a football club. And if I'd, uh, if, if, if being the director of Horny Housewives on the Job, according to this list of films I've got in front of me, um, makes you uh, the right person to uh, be, be on the board of a football club. In the opinion of the club owners, then, then ultimately it's their decisions to make. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, uh, we, you know, we, we went to great lengths last week because there was plenty piling on, plenty of fans piling on on Twitter already saying, ah, oh, this is a joke, look, they're just keeping it in the family, blah, blah, blah. And we always want to keep an open mind. That's why we're delighted to have you on today to shine a bit of a light on it for us. So the, those appointments put West Ham, they've got 11 total directors now. So Gold Sullivan and Karen Brady, Andy Mollett, who's the longstanding uh, chief financial officer, he's an experienced chartered accountant, uh, Daniel Harris, who's a non-executive director, Director, who's the, the owner of Alba, Bush, Grundig and Goodman's electronics companies. He came on board uh, just before around the time that Golds and Sullivan were purchasing the club off of the Icelandics in the first place. So he's been on board a while. So that's your other, your existing seven. So you've mentioned it there that, you know, um, and I think you've assumed or it's fair to say that what you were saying, that they've taken them on board and whether they've got the right skills to do a job. I think the question that a lot of fans are asking, certainly listeners to our podcast have been asking, is, is there a job there for them? You, you say that as if that's why they've made the appointment. But the Times the, uh, in the week suggested that the appointments were just so they can take family to games. Other fans online, some I think hopeful fans were suggesting that it was in preparation for a sale in the near future and that the, the those members of the the new members of the board and their obviously who also happen to be family and friends will in some way benefit financially what is it what why do you why ultimately that is the question no need for frilly words from me why have they made these appointments um if, if we take the second issue in terms of financial benefits if West Ham or WH Holding, which is which is the main company, if that company is sold, the money will be received by the shareholders. Now, those shareholders are still in the main, David Gold and David Sullivan. So uh, you can be a director of a company without being a shareholder, and therefore you wouldn't receive any financial benefit. Many directors of football clubs um, are unpaid. So I'm, I'm, I'm not certain of the financial benefits to these people of coming on board. It could be um, there's an element of succession planning. Uh, you know, both David Gold and both David Sullivan are senior guys age-wise, and perhaps they are looking to 
um, pass on the club or you know, if something happens to them. And you know, I, I, I know there's not a lot of love lost between the fan base and, and the, the people in charge, but you, you don't wish illness or death upon anybody. And it could be that they've, they've spoken to their advisors and said, um, you know, what happens if one of you does go? hopefully not you know catch covid or get run over by a bus or whatever um what what's going to happen in terms of succession and they might have said well actually we, we want somebody to look after our interests once we've gone and therefore by having a, a family member on board um to to allow those people to become familiar with how the decisions are made at board level um it is part of sort of a longer term uh, process. If, if uh, you know clearly, David Gold Jr. Um, is, is is keen on the club, um, David Sullivan Jr. Uh, and so on, and and therefore they want to sort of learn the ropes uh, in terms of what's required to be involved in running the club from from the the, the next generation up. Well, I tell you what, Kieran, I think lots of fans listening to to that will have their head in their hands at the moment because I think there's uh, the the word seems to be going round, or plenty of like I said, hopeful fans. I think um, we're latching on to the idea that it might be because a, a departure was imminent, but <laughs> it sounds like there's a there's a chance it will be another full generation that that fans have got to uh, cope with, or certainly ones of of that anti GSB persuasion of which we've seen this season. There are there are thousands of those. Yeah, if if, if I was setting up a company to sell. Um, and I was looking to, and I found a party who wants to take over, that new party, the last thing they want is remnants of GSB on, on the board because they would want a, you know, a, a brand new, you know, a fresh broom, clear out the old wood, bring in the new. Um, I, I monitor all the clubs and, and I've seen this morning in respect of Burnley, all of the old directors have gone with the exception of the, the two guys who had sold the shares because they, they still have an interest in the club and the new directors are coming in. So you wouldn't, under normal circumstances, appoint directors prior or close to uh, a major transaction in terms of selling the club because it's just creating a problem for the new owners. And you know, the last thing you want is if you're, you're 80 or 90% of the way through selling the club is to, to bring something in place where the new owners are going to say, well, you know, well, we don't want that. You know, it's not. We, we we don't want your kids on board if you go uh, reporting back to you. You know, I, I wouldn't want it if I was taking over West Ham, and, and I I can't see any benefits in in any brand new owner. So, um, I, I'm well, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I appreciate that there are uh, a variety of views at the club, and I've I've spoken to, to many fans. Um, I, I can't see any links in, in terms of the sale of the club. Um, I, I do, you know, like I, I speak to many journalists, nobody's whispered to me about a potential sale. And not, normally things come yeah. through on the grapevine. So never say never in football because the Manchester City deal went through completely under the radar when Sheikh Mansour came in. Um, I, I know some of it when when they were offered £800 million uh, a couple of years ago for the club, to me, that looked an absolutely amazing offer. Um, I, I would be surprised if they got anything near that today uh, in, in a COVID environment. Um, so I, I, I can't see the logic in, in having 
lots of family connections on board if, if you're looking to sell because the first thing that the new people want to do is that they want their own chief executive in they want their own probably their own finance director they'll want their own commercial director um and, and things of that nature so to have have a board of 11 um i think it could be more linked to the tickets my, my understanding is that when you go to an away game you're entitled to up to 10 tickets in the boardroom so uh, yeah, if they've got 11, the chances are that, you know, most of the clan could therefore go to, to go to away matches um, in future. It, it could be, um, it, it could be something as simple as people from the family want to see the matches they can't do in a COVID environment, but if they're board members, they can. So, yeah. it, you know, it could, it could be something as, uh, as, as benign and simple as that. Yeah, well, that's what that's what the Times were, were suggesting under the current COVID protocols. As you say, there's, uh, I think, it's directors plus 10 that are allowed yeah. into games or something. So so perhaps it is just that. I think uh, I will bring Tom in in a minute because I know he's got some questions he's keen to ask you surrounding uh, transfers. But yeah, so certainly interesting as far as that goes. Because I think, as always, with these things, when these things come out, the, the murky world of football finance, which... You obviously understand a lot better than the majority of us. Is that fans hear it and they see the headlines, new directors, especially among West Ham fans, there's immediate, oh my God, why? What's happened? What? What's the bad reason that this has, has happened for? So, yeah, I mean, even even that, I think fans, if it is just as simple as as wanting to get um, wanting to get tickets for the games, that still seems a little bit crass and classless, to be quite honest, to go through the rigmarole of, of adding new directors but um yeah that's in, in the times piece as well it's worth noting that they they commented uh the, sorry they contacted west ham who refused to comment on the story uh so i know tom wants to uh to ask you about some transfers i think i'll, I'll kick us off for uh before tom takes the the mantle off me with the sebastian Hallaire one uh obviously sold to ajax earlier in the month for a deal believed to be worth between 20 and 25 million Hallaire originally signed for the club for 45 uh, a lot of that deal was made up by uh installments payments and you know, based on certain criteria being hit we had the story uh at the sort of towards the end middle slash end of last year about West Ham uh, having failed to pay one of the instalments and Eintracht Frankfurt having contacted FIFA to complain about it, that issue kind of went away um, afterwards. So what's your, what's your understanding of, of the, the Haller situation and, and the, the sort of repayment schedule and the breakdown of that deal, where that money is and has gone and all that sort of thing? Well, as far as, Eintracht Frankfurt are concerned. Yet they are still looking to to have the the closure of the deal at their end. Um, now, it, a lot will depend upon the nature of the paperwork. And uh, you know, normally in a transfer, if there are outstanding instalments due, because paying in instalments is is the way forwards. Yeah, it, it's it's the way that modern transfers are taking place because they're not for fifty or sixty grand anymore. We are talking millions of pounds. Um, under normal circumstances, if, if the player is sold uh, by, by a club such as West Ham and there are uh, outstanding instalments, then they have to be paid up immediately because um, that, that will be a sort of what's referred to as a change of control clause. So how much net West Ham will get from this is, is clearly unknown because we don't know the details of the deal. 
Um, but but I would expect that it's it's not going to be a huge amount. I mean, the original transfer, it looks as if it was it was down to be covered over a number of years. Um, I've, I've got the figures here. At the end of 2019, uh, West Ham owed £87 million in instalments on a variety of transfers. Um, so it could be that Hallers was, was included in that. You're never quite sure. Um, because it all depends on, on when he came in, in, in 2019-20. So, so West Ham did owe quite a lot of money, um, and therefore it, it looks as if they had got into the habit of buying players on credit, because as, as recently as, as 2015, they only, owned, they only owed £23 million to other clubs at the end of the year. That had gone from 23 to 87 in four years. So they, they were buying players. They, they, you know, I, I know that fans are unhappy about um, West Ham's commitment in terms of the transfer market. They were buying players, but they were buying them on credit. And if you sell something, which you've previously bought on credit, normally the creditor will turn around to you and say, right, well, you just sold it. There's some outstanding installments. You've got to pay us up immediately. That, that's the standard way. Without seeing an individual contract, I, I really can't comment any further in terms of the intricacies. But I, but I don't think West Ham will have ended up with very much cash. You know, for, because by, but by Ajax's standards, you know, twenty to twenty-five million pounds spend is is a lot of money uh, in the in the context of Dutch football. Kieran, looking at another transfer which we've done recently is the side Ben Rama one, and um, I'm wondering how much is that affecting our current budget because obviously we've got them an initial loan and then there's supposedly a 30 million pound payment depending on I think it's a health problem his lung so obviously that looks like that's coming out the budget and we've got a seemingly reluctance to go out and spend money how much of that is due to the fact that that is something which is going to be taken out our budget eventually or is it just a matter of fact that, that COVID's hit us and we don't have the money to spend or is it because our budget's taken up elsewhere? Well, when, when you're doing a budget, you, you look at cash flow. So, you know, how much, how much ultimately you're going to pay is irrelevant, is how much are you committed to be paying out over the course of the next six months, the next 12 months, next 18 months, uh, and so on. So you, you'd normally look at it in sort of six-month chunks uh, from, from a transfer perspective because uh, transfer payments, especially when they are instalment-based, are normally on, on an annual basis. Um, my concern looking at West Ham's figures, as I've already mentioned to you, they, they already owed 87 million at the end of 2019 before, and that's before you sign a player for that particular season. So um, from, from a cash flow point of view, I think West Ham were finding it quite challenging. Uh, the money that was being generated uh, at the London Stadium wasn't... Uh, uh, wasn't probably as much as you were expecting. You know, I, th I think uh, uh, you know, when, I, when I've spoken to other West Ham fans, they said, well, you know, we, we love the bowling ground because it was part of our history and heritage and upbringing, and that's why part of the reason we love the club. Um, we will take on board that we're going to generate a lot more money from moving to the London Stadium because clearly its capacity was a lot bigger. That didn't materialise. Uh, in, in 2015, West Ham made 20 million from, from ticket sales. By the time you got to 2019, it was 27. Uh, you, you compare that to the TV money; it's it, it's it's Peanuts. not really significant. So um, the club will have lost that. Uh, they clearly there was a uh, there was an issue with the shirt sleeve sponsor that went into administration uh, gold, uh, last season. That? So 
Bassett and Gold. That's right. Whether there was any money outstanding, um, there wasn't. I mean, I, there I, wasn't. I remember it from the time that was all paid up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Um, and uh, then, of course, there's the TV money. Now we know that the TV money rebate um, for the Premier League as a whole is estimated to be around about 350, 360 million pounds. So that works out if, if you split it evenly. And, and, it, and of course, the clubs are arguing as to how it should be split. Uh, that works out as 18 million pounds per club. I believe that's being spread over three seasons. So, so that's six million pounds each season. So you know, that's six million pounds out of your budget. Um, you know, and that's you know, that's two players' wages, realistically. Yeah, for a Kieran, club like West Ham. Just quickly. Um, oh, sorry, sorry. Go on. No, that, that, that was it, really. Um, so so the club is, is down 27 million in terms of match day, another six or seven in terms of broadcast. We've got the collapse of the Chinese TV deal, which is probably worth, you know, realistically, perhaps you know, five to ten million pounds per club. Uh, you know, West Ham are down in, in, in my book. Um, you know, somewhere in the region of about 40 million quid uh, as a result of COVID and sort of COVID-related issues. In that period, in the period since uh, from the original COVID or in the last year? Over, I, would, I would say over, the, over a 12-month period, it's right, probably okay. costing West Ham around about 40 million quid. So uh, based on that, Kieran, just quickly, because I know Tom wanted to ask you about Grady D and Ghana, but on those figures there, because I think what fans would like to hear, and certainly what I was thinking as you're, you're asking those questions, is the £87 million West Ham owed out at the end of 2019, you said that was, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. so the yeah. 87 so million... Okay, cool. So summer 2019, I guess that's when the last set of accounts ran up to. But if they, they owed 87 million quid then, how does that compare to all the other Premier League teams, first of all? And the losses you mentioned there, the same question, the 40 million quid, how do they both compare? Because when fans hear these numbers from their own club, there's often very little context to them. So because if all Premier League yeah. clubs are down 40 million quid, then it's still an even an even market, isn't it? And it can't and shouldn't perhaps be used as an excuse. It would make sense why transfer fees might come down. But if, if all clubs are still singing off the door, they're all in the same boat, then it is what it is. So how do those two figures compare with other Prem clubs? Um, compared to the big six, it's, it's quite a bit, bit less. Uh, Spurs, since moving to the new stadium, they, they were due to make around about 120 million from ticket sales this season, which is, which is scarily good. I mean, you know, I know there's no love between West Ham and Spurs, but what Spurs did financially was really smart. So, so Spurs, Arsenal, uh, they, the, the big six clubs have been hit hard because they actually play more fixtures than West Ham because they have qualified for Europe. And the Champions League is really lucrative. If you're hosting Barcelona, Bayern, PSG and so on, um, a, you're charging top dollar for ticket prices, and B, your commercial department is just, it's just rubbing its hands together because the, the hospitality packages, you, you can effectively name your own price. So those clubs have been hit hard. Um, I, I think what, what we've got to look at is who, who really should we be comparing West Ham to? And I would say yeah, Leicester, Wolves, Everton, Newcastle. Yeah, that, totally I agree. Totally agree. Yeah, that, that's that's your peer group. Um, 
those clubs have been hit broadly the same, perhaps a little bit less. I mean, West Ham certainly generate more match day income than Everton uh, and Leicester by by about sort of seven or eight million pounds. So, so they West Ham have been slit, hit slightly harder um, than those clubs, but those clubs have actually themselves been quite cautious. Leicester didn't go out and spend big in the market. I know. Um, Wolves signed uh, that that 17-year-old lad for a lot of money, but remember they also sold players. You know, they they sold that they sold their striker to uh, Liverpool, so it was it was a case of one out, one in. Um, so in, in the pool in which we're looking at, and again Newcastle, Callum Wilson, you know, was was what a 10 million pound signing, you know, nothing major. Um, so I, I think uh, West Ham have been hit broadly in a similar by similar amount um certainly their wage bill was getting a bit high compared to some of those other clubs except everton everton have gone crazy but everton have got the benefit of somebody who's who's bought the club three years ago and has put in 400 million pounds in the last three years um and and everton are losing 130 million quid a year whereas whereas west ham's owners um and again it gets as a neutral I think it's best if I don't express an opinion on them. Um, they've not been putting money into the club, um, although the club has been has been spending money. If you take a look at, at West Ham's wage bill, uh, yeah, it has gone up. It, it's it's gone up from uh, ninety five million pounds in twenty seventeen to one hundred and thirty six. So so the money's been spent. I think you as fans are probably the best people who are qualified to say talk about the quality of yeah, the of quality the of the, the money's spend. spent yeah yeah uh west west ham's average wage has gone up from 33 grand a week in 2015 to 63 grand a week uh in in 2019 now if you're getting an extra 30 grand a week benefit in terms of what you're seeing on the park that's fine but i suspect again i i, I know west ham fans uh, i've got i've got family who support west ham um, they they think well the money the money's been wasted rather than the money's not necessarily been spent. Yeah, Kieran, another one I wanted to ask you about in the transfer market was um, this summer we sold Grady Dean Garner. Obviously, there's a lot of con- controversy around it for footballing reasons, but I believe we recouped somewhere around the 18 million mark. And the the rhetoric coming out of the club was we'll see that reused, and yet the only thing we saw was Craig Dawson come in on loan and. And Ben Rama on loan, and I think five or so million on Sufau. And the question is, a fan, you see that, and they release that statement saying we will be reinvesting this money back into the squad. Blah, blah, blah. Where does that money go when we haven't spent that, and it's and it's just sat there? And I believe we let go a few other players that window. I don't know how much we brought in, but it would have been north of twenty million, and we ended up spending about five of that. Obviously, the wages and everything build up. But as a fan, you wonder where does that money end up going? Well, it, it, it goes it goes on paying off your outstanding instalments that were already owed. You know, so it, it, it's a bit like if, if you're at work and, and you get a bonus at work, you get home and, and the missus says, well, we, we owe three grand on the credit card. <laughs> yeah. Boom, it's gone. There it is. Um, and and, and, that, and that, that's the position. So by 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 recruiting players in recent years on credit, it meant that Although I think clearly as fans, we tend to sort of focus on individual windows. West Ham had spent money 
or rather West Ham had bought players in previous windows and they hadn't paid for them. So therefore that, that creditor was growing and growing. And it could be that the sale of Ben Rama was due to the fact that West Ham actually had some significant payments to make in the summer 2020 window. Uh, and once those had been paid, there was diddly squat left to actually invest in, in brand new players at what you might consider to be competitive transfer fees. Yeah, excellent. Tom, did you have one about David Moyes quickly before I yeah. just get back into one couple more nitty gritty before we let Kieran go? Yeah, Kieran, also, there's, there's a lot of chat about David Moyes getting a contract. And I think uh, whoever in football can see that he clearly deserves one now. But the owners have delayed that and a lot of some fans are thinking is that because they're looking to sell again and, and leave it to the other owners to make that decision come the summer or whatnot. But because it expires are, at the end of this season, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It expires at the end of this season, as does Mark Nobles and, and the rumours coming out the club are both are inevitably going to sign. But is it a footballing reason or is it economical? Why, why we aren't offering them two contracts right now and just getting it done? Um, Quite often when, when you are offering a new contract, it will come with some form of pay bonus. Um, so it could be that the owners are, are confident that David Moyes will sign. And I think the consensus is he's done a really good job for West Ham this season. At the same time, there's not a queue of people looking to, to sign him up. Yeah. So therefore, it could be that they're actually quite relaxed because they don't think he's going to be poached. One of the reasons you... Uh, you, you get a, you get a manager on a long-term contract. It's that if he is doing well, the fear is he's going to go elsewhere, um, and it's not necessarily a problem. If you take a look at, uh, at what's happened with Leeds, mm. you, know, you know their their manager at the end of last season didn't sign a contract until August, but everybody seemed quite relaxed, and he only signs twelve-month contracts because that's the way he likes to operate. So it's not necessarily. A, a bad thing. It it just could be that the club and David Moyes, they they want to get to the end of this season, assess things. It could be that based on the position that West Ham finish, it could be a really good financial year for West Ham because you you get just under an extra two million pounds for ex for each additional place you're up the uh, the Premier League. So if you're up four or five places compared to last season, yeah, that's an extra ten million quid. It could be that David Moyes and 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 uh, Golden Sullivan they've already had informal discussions as to what is the budget going to be, and David Moyes says, well, you know, or Golden Sullivan has said, let's wait till the end of the season. We can give you a more definitive answer, and, and you know, we don't know what we. You know, does David Moyes want to carry on in management? You know, he's he's made enough money. He's been a very successful manager historically. Um, so so I, I think there will be a, a lot of things. Um, certainly, if, the, if, if there was interest from prospective new buyers, then they would prefer to make that management decision themselves. But that's, that's an inconsistency with what we've seen in the board. Mm. You know, why bring in lots of people? You know, why bring in four new directors if you're looking to sell the club? Um, so yes, from, from a, if, if, I, if I was a West Ham fan and I was trying to pin my hopes upon uh, something to do with the sale of the club, the fact that there, there has been no progress in terms of the management co manager's contract, that, that would be a positive. But the boardroom things are a negative in, in that regard. Yeah, I think as far as Moyes concerned, Tony Cotty was on the podcast earlier in the season saying, oh, we should sign him up. How can you expect to sign or how can you expect Declan Rice to sign a long-term contract if he doesn't know his manager's going to be? These days, even at the 
the sort of bigger clubs, three-year deals are about the longest management contracts you get and they're broken all the time anyway. Ultimately, it doesn't matter if the results are bad. But uh, one more, Kieran, just before we let you go, one I'm really interested in, we've got seven minutes left in this segment, uh, the interest payment deferral. Uh, so last summer when COVID was kicking off and everyone, it seemed, was screaming that footballers needed to take a pay cut and that was going to solve all the world's problems. Uh, at that time... Um, through some some pressure from some journalists uh, and then to the general sort of feeling among fans, um, when that uh, players uh, the players took a deferral, didn't they? So they didn't take a wage cut; they just agreed to defer the payment of some of their wages for a period of time. Uh, and some pressure on whether the board were going to do the same thing as well. Karen Brady, um, they, they did a thirty million pound rights issue scheme at that time. The board did that to inject some some cash back in. Karen Brady and Moyes took a pay cut. Uh, the David Gold and David Sullivan uh, they earn four point two five percent annual interest, uh, which earned them 1.9 million for the financial year 1819 now uh, when the players pay deferral came about they were at that time the the statement come out and there was some pressure on on the club uh, for what are the board going to do a similar thing now they came out and said they uh, the the statement was very carefully worded they were going to yes. defer the interest payments so that yep. read to me it sounded like they it was trying to be twisted as yeah yeah we're taking a deferral as well that but ultimately that the the, the four point two five percent interest I can't remember off the top of my head what the total loan amount is now but it earns them just shy of two million quid a year um, I think it's around forty million the loan value but uh, that two million that they're they're getting every year what's your understanding of what happened with that and is because ultimately we won't be able to tell whether it was deferred at all until the uh what would it be 2021 financial accounts yeah it'll be, not, which be, will be, be another while. yeah um, so what's your understanding of that look, yeah yeah i mean look looking historically at uh the the loans from david gold and david sullivan uh, i think initially that they lent money at around about six and a half percent but they, they didn't, and it was effectively you, a, bit, a bit like uh, when Tony Soprano used to lend money in, in the Sopranos, <laughs> is that you add interest to the interest. Um, and, and nothing was paid for a few years. And then they took a large chunk out about two or three years ago. Um, and it looks as if they're going to start to build up how much they are owed once again as, as a result of, of, the, of COVID considerations. So uh, yeah, based on my figures I've got in front of me, they have earned, but the only way I can describe it, they have earned 18.7 million pounds worth of interest since, since initially becoming involved, but they've only taken out around about 14 or 15. So, so they have not, they've never historically taken out all the interest that has been owed to them. They, they've effectively just left some in the pot. It looks as if they're going to continue to do that for, for cash flow reasons. Uh, clearly, they're both independently wealthy um, of, of their investment in West Ham. So that they don't physically need the cash. And, and, it, and I suspect that the club does need the cash. Uh, West Ham has other uh, borrowings as well as those as from from David Gold and David Sullivan. Um, th those lenders are more likely to want the, the cash interest to be paid on the appropriate due dates. So what, because for, for those listening, again, to, we want a, a balanced view on this, which you've been brilliant giving us so far. For those listening, you think, oh, they just do that to earn money out of it. 
there, there are reasonable questions that say, look, at plenty of other clubs, owners put money in and then just write the debts off. Um, what, what's the, what's, is there anything stopping the board from doing that? Because again, not to jump on and say they're just doing it for the money or whatever, but the, when you look at the actual hard numbers, they're, it's not like they haven't got the choice to to wipe it out and like you say 14 million quid in interest it seems to me given the amount the two men are worth david sullivan's a billionaire david gold around 450 million it seems to me such a poor pr decision to take 14 million quid out over 10 years or whatever it is and then a few, there's a few more quid in the in the bank to come if they want to it just seems really stupid what like a silly thing to do from a pr perspective what's your take on that we've got three minutes left um yeah it it, it does seem a bit crass to me uh if, if we take a look at other clubs you you've got somebody such as mike ashley who is is loathed on on Tyneside, as i'm sure you're aware mike ashley has lent newcastle united presently 111 million pounds interest free he's never taken a penny (laughs) out now you could you could argue that because he's got his lots of advertising there but sports direct do pay for the advertising whether they pay at market rates is not is not for me to say so you've got somebody as hated as mike ashley who's being more generous to a club where he's got no emotional connections than than david gold and david sullivan so, so for me, I've, I've always felt that they've been uh, a bit silly with regards to that. It, it is their money. Um, I've heard David Gold say it's cheaper than, uh, than, than what a bank would charge. So the is, club is, is that, better off. Is it? Can you, can you ratify that statement while you're on? If, if we take a look at the loans, which have just been taken out by Southampton and Burnley. And Tottenham um, as well. Right. Well, let, let's let, let's just let, let's just I'll, I'll look at I think Southampton and Burnley sorry, sorry, are probably on, yeah. more appropriate for West Ham because they they both have got a risk of going down. Mm. You know, as much as you hate Spurs, that they ain't going to go down. Yeah. yeah. So um, they they both borrowed at around about nine to ten percent. So that is higher mm. than, than David Gold and David Sullivan. Spurs have borrowed um, at two and a quarter percent and three and three quarter. Um, but the advantage of the Spurs loan is that if Spurs default, the banks get hold of Spurs Stadium. Now, yeah, if, yeah, if, sure. uh, if Golden Sullivan defaults, then it's got to come out of their personal assets. So they, um, they get a couple of crass Rolls Royces. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so there, there we are in, in terms of it, it is. I, I think it's it's unnecessary. I've heard David Sullivan say well, I've got to look after my kids and their inheritance. They're already going to inherit, as we know. He's, he's been very successful in his property development, and we all know his other types of business as well. Um, you know, a, 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 a few million here, you, you're never going to spend it all. So I've never really understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm a Brighton season ticket holder. Our owners lent the club $400 million yeah, interest-free. Yeah, it's so, a... It- it is a it is a bizarre a bizarre situation. But Kieran, you've been absolutely brilliant, shining a light on what can be a uh, a foggy and moggy muggy. I don't know what the word is. Uh, part of of football, but it's been an absolute pleasure. So Kieran Maguire, host of the Price of Football podcast, thanks very much. So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast and I hope you agree what a fantastic interview 
that was with Kieran Maguire and some real insight. And uh, yeah, we, me and Tom certainly found it really informative um, and we hope you did too. Certainly eye opening, you know, uh, he's a guy who knows his stuff inside out. He's, he's completely impartial um, and very, very interesting stuff on all things uh, West Ham, GSB transfers, all that sort of stuff. So great to hear from Kieran and, uh, and we hope, uh, that we can call on him again later in the season. But some figures that need severely looking at that have been amended. Jonesy is the overall amount of money that the We Are West Ham podcast has raised for charity this season because our guest last week, the Ribman, came in with an absolute perler of a bet. It was a winner. Uh, before we get on to that and how much he won, uh, we'll just run. Actually, no, no. Ignore that. Ignore that. We'll go straight into it. Start with the good news. So the rib man last week, Jonesy, what did he have? What bet did he have? What were the odds? And how much money did he win for the We Are West Ham podcast charities? Yeah, so it's for the Burnley game, the rib man had a 22 to one shot. So, you know, a pretty big one. And we've had bigger this season, but it was a, it was a, a big one. West Ham to win 1-0. Mikel Antonio to score any time. And over eight and a half corners, um, and he smashed it out of the park. I think there was eleven corners in the game, so he, he nailed the corners. And obviously, Antonio in the ninth minute it was a bit of a tense wait throughout the uh, the rest of the game to make sure no one else scored, so he got it in. But twenty-two to one winner, which means one thousand one hundred pounds worth of profit split evenly across Bobby Moore Fund, DT Thirty Eight, did and Tom Beavers Foundation, and uh, Isles Fight. So uh, that's it's. Um, it's looking very, very nice, that little pot now. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Yeah, wonderful. Brilliant from Mark come on last week. He was a great guest. And uh, yeah, absolutely wonderful for him to pull in a winner for us as well. Me and the lads weren't so lucky. So for the Burnley game, James had West Ham to win 3-0, Bowen anytime and Antonio anytime. I had West Ham to win Antonio anytime and penalty to be awarded once again. I've missed out on the third selection because tonight I had West Ham to win Antonio anytime and more than 8.5 corners. And I let, got let down on the corners this time. Very, very annoying indeed. Um, and for the Burnley game, Tom, you had West Ham to win under 2.5 goals and Bowen anytime. Both of you back in Bowen last week and you come up with nice. the goods. This week, uh, Jonesy, run us through uh, what happened for on the West Brom game because again, close. I said I've just uh, said mine there. I only missed out on corners. There was four corners in the game, so I needed another four or five corners, I think, to uh, to pull in my five to two shot. But uh, what did you and Tom have? So I had Bowen uh, to score, so I got that one right. Uh, but I had West Ham to win two nil and over eight and a half corners, like you. So only one out of the three. But you can imagine my excitement when Bowen pops up at the end of the first half. Prime, prime, prime opportunity for that to for that to come in, but it wasn't to be. And uh, Tom West Ham to win both teams to score. Ben Rama first goal scorer, so that that was done just at the end of the first half. Um, but we're, we're getting close to chaps, aren't we? We are, we are definitely edging closer. There's no bets uh, this week because, uh, as you know, the Doncaster game is in the FA Cup and the charity bets are only for the Premier League games this season. So we'll be back with our charity bet selection next week. Just a reminder to fans, you can uh, follow and back our bets on the Betway website or app. Just go to the West Ham game 
uh, that's coming up and go on pre-built bets and under there you'll find the we are west Ham bets um, and it'll have my name james's name and tom's name against the ones that we mentioned on this podcast if you want to have a few quid on them yourself then you're happy to do that and lads before we move on just on uh, a much more serious note um isla's mum nikki weren't uh, released a video the other night through facebook and twitter basically giving some some bad news about um isla she's had a couple of uh, recurrences and they're they're asking for some more money again covid's obviously making the whole situation a little bit worse uh, go to isla's at isla's fight on twitter to see that full length video from nikki but she was saying you know this isn't over it's another tough time for isla and for the family and they were asking for some more money again their their funds uh, they've raised in total around six hundred thousand. Uh, but that's down to 160 odd now. Nikki was saying that sounds like such a lot of money, 160,000 pounds. But the um, the solutions for Isla are either in New York or Barcelona, as it seems at the moment. She's got to go through another session of chemotherapy. Uh, found a couple of spots, um, one behind her knee and the one other one uh, on her groin. So they're doing some biopsies and that sort of thing. And like I say, go to that video on Isla's fight for that but she is asking for some more money again we're delighted with uh, the amount of money that we have managed uh, the tiny small amount of money in comparison to the great work that other West Ham fans and football fans up and down the country have done to pledge to Isla's cause so just a just a reminder um, that if if you've got a few quid knocking around do go over to Isla Caton um, her Twitter account Isla's Fight on Twitter or you can just search Isla's Fight on google and find the just giving page and if you've got a few quid knocking around at the moment um because you're not going out as much or whatever it is and you want to contribute to that good cause nikki has has asked um, put a pledge out and asked for she needs some money now just as much as ever before so um you know me and the lads obviously echo the lads obviously echo those sentiments but um yeah if you have got any any money at the moment um you can send that over to isla that would be great and of course your prayers uh, good wishes and messages to the family also help at what looks like it's going to be a bit of a tough time in the coming weeks and months for Isla and her family. So uh, thanks for everyone. If you've already done it, if you've got a few more quid, do jump into that. But stay with us because moving on from, from the Betway Charity Bets for this week, we're looking ahead. It's the FA Cup, West Ham in the fourth round, Doncaster Rovers at home, three o'clock kickoff at the London Stadium on Saturday. And the winner gets a trip to either Old Trafford or Anfield. We've got the opposition view of Glenn from the popular stand fanzine next. So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones and delighted as ever with that great news on the Betway charity bets. Ribman coming up trumps for me and the lads. Great to add all of that money to our charity pot for the season. But I'm delighted to say that to start looking ahead for the first time in the podcast uh, to West Ham's game, home to Doncaster Rovers on Saturday, January the 23rd, three o'clock 
kickoff and the prize is a game away at Liverpool or Manchester United. Whoopee. But I'm delighted to say joining us to look ahead to the Doncaster game is Glenn Wilson from the popular stand fanzine, Doncaster Rovers uh, magazine. You were just telling me before we come on air, Glenn, um, I was reminiscing the last time uh, our two teams played each other was in the championship. The very last time was actually Upton Park, which was a draw. But the time before that, a game that I went to and will fondly remember forever because we got a Hummer limousine up to Doncaster for the uh, opening game of the championship season. Kevin Nolan got the winner in a 1-0 win. And uh, yeah, you're telling me an anecdote about some sort of children's play area. Yeah, I think it was it was because it was August. There was some family fun area happening with a giant bouncy slide. And one minute they look at all kids on it. I turn around to sell a fanzine, turn back, and there's about... 15, uh, 40 plus year old West Ham fans bouncing down it, which to uh, which to a lot of kids' uh, annoyance. <laughs> it sounds it sounds about right. Well, Glenn, you uh, was that almost still there for your journey back? By the way, <laughs> yeah, I think the driver stayed with it. To be fair, none okay. of us we had to hire someone to uh, to drive it. But that was a very very good day. That was Kevin Nolan scored after five minutes. I can't remember the game being particularly uh, great after that. But uh, you your team won one nil tonight against Rochdale. How's it going for those who sort of aren't keeping up? Um, with the lower leagues, how are you getting on this season? Yeah, we, we're doing well. Um, probably better than a lot of a lot of us expect. It's been a weird season. Obviously, it's very disjointed generally, and in, and in League One, it's probably been more disjointed with the amount of sort of teams having to stop for for COVID um, cases and, and recoveries. So, we in the league, we've we've won six out of our last seven. Although it's hard to remember that because we had a sort of two and a half week break in the middle of that. Um, but we're in fourth. We've got games in hand on those above us. I think win those games in hand and, we, and we'd be top. So you can't really ask more than that, really. Um, but it's just, such, I mean, as everyone's fine, it's just such a strange season to follow, to follow it remotely and keep tabs on everything when, like I said, no, no team seems to have played as many as everyone else. And you don't 100% know when the next game's coming. Hi, Glenn. Um, Darren Moore's the current manager. He obviously had quite the uh, media backlash and, and not backlash, sorry, praise after the West Brom job and everything. How have you felt like he's come into his own at Doncaster? And obviously, like you mentioned, you've had a brilliant start to the season. You're fourth, I believe. You're, you're in the hunt, absolutely. Like you always are in League One by the looks of it. But what, what do you make of him and, and how he's gone about his business? Oh, Darren's, Darren's brilliant. I mean, when... When Grant McCann left, um, start of the season before last, he, he sort of jumped ship to go to Hull. There's a lot of talk of, as to who would come in. I think we, me and the other lads in the fanzine, joked at the time that the dream ticket would be Darren Moore, uh, Graham Jones, it, both having you know the two met at Rovers and worked together at West West Brom. Darren's a bit of a, a Rovers legend from the mid '90s, so he's someone that we, and as obviously a respected manager and coach as well, so he was someone that we were desperate. To have and didn't thought we didn't think we'd be capable of, of getting a manager of his his caliber. Um, he's coming. He, he, he started. Um, he had a lot of hard work when he started because Grant McCann had gone and a lot of the players from that team that had done well had gone and moved on as well. So Darren was almost starting from from scratch in a lot of ways. We had a decent enough team last year when the season was curtailed, and he's built on from there. He's brought in interesting players that I don't think we'd have had access to otherwise through his sort of knowledge of clubs in the, in the West Midlands and his, his, um, 
calibre as well sort of draws a lot of players in. I'm thinking like Matt Smith, who we've got in midfield at the moment, the Welsh international. It's hard to see that he would have come to League One to us without Dan and Moore. So he's really building something. I think he's definitely got the the fans on side as well because he, I said, he's got that cult hero status as a player, and he's he's just a very likable man. You know, it's he, he, it, it, there's nothing really you can pick fault with. You know, he, he he's very honest in his his press. He gets what it's like to be involved in a, a smaller, you know, a club, that club being part of the community. He's everything we could want, really, in a League One manager. Yeah, and so, doing well in the league, uh, all looking all looking good. And obviously, the FA Cup run's been been good up to uh, up to now. Obviously, beating Blackburn at Ewood Park 1-0 in the, in the third round. Um, really, really good result. How do you fancy, or what, what were your thoughts, first of all, of... Um, when West Ham came out of the hat and uh, away trip to, to London Stadium. Yeah, I mean it's it's good, isn't it? I think for any any club of our size, sort of League One, you know, League One downwards, when you you reach the third, fourth round of the FA Cup, we want a you want a big team away. You want a Premier League team away from home for a great away day. Obviously, the away day element we, we can't have, and that's sad. Because I think, you know, I don't know whether it's unlikely whether you know there'd been a sellout of home fans for an FA Cup tie against the League One team. You know, we're not a glamorous prospect for, for your fans. I completely get that, but we would definitely have filled as big an away allocation as we were we were given, really. It would have been a great, great occasion. Um, and I said, especially someone who lives in London as well, so it would have been an even better away day for, for me and a few of the fanzine lads to, to have a sort of day looking forward to it. But it's still a big draw, you know, the, the Cup's a big deal. I, I absolutely love the FA Cup, always have done and, and still do. I don't subscribe to the, the cheapening of it for, for a club like us. It, it should be a massive deal and we should throw everything at trying to get something out of it. Um, and if you're going to do that, you're going to have to play tough ties and West Ham away is a, on the pitch is, is a tough tie. But, you know, I think we're in a better place for cup experience now. We had a good cup run two years back as well. We got to the fifth round for the first time in about 60 years. So I think there's a bit more confidence in the fans and the club of maybe getting a result than there might have been uh, a few years back. Well, you talk about history there, Glenn. Uh, we had Stockport in the last round, of course, and uh, we had the guys on from the Scarf Bagara War podcast, and we had a losing record against Stockport before the game. Uh, and once again, we're coming up against a team, lower league opposition. Many West Ham fans will think they're a smaller side, but in history, West Ham have beaten Doncaster eight times. There's been six draws and you've won ten. So uh, history is in your favour slightly. How do you see the game going style-wise? Uh, obviously, you're saying you sort of fancy it and, and you've every right to, really. We only beat Stockport 1-0, albeit they barely got out of their half. But how do you see the, the game going and what should we be looking out for? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I don't know if those wins we got over you in the 50s will have any bearing, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one, I think. We, we're in a bit of a weird put because we, we've sold our club captain, Ben Whiteman, in the in the transfer window a couple of games ago. And he's he's a big loss to us in terms of making us tick from, from midfield. You know, he was leading a lot of all the significant charts in in the stats in League One. So that's that's a big loss for us. I think the other, the other thing is not having fans in is, is a loss for us, you know, not only for the backing of the away fans, but, you know, when it's a bigger team at home, and we've had this when we've played like non-league sides in the cup, and you... There's less people in. You can hear the shouts a bit louder. And when that misplaced, misplaced pass goes or you've gone 30 minutes, 40 minutes, not broken them down or whatever, a crowd can turn on its own team a little bit. So we haven't got that element to to play off as we might have liked. But 
you know, we're a capable footballing side. We, we showed against Blackburn that we could get a result without Ben Whiteman. I think we're missing a couple of players this coming Saturday that could have made a difference. Um, so it'd be interesting. I think if we'd still had Whiteman, if we'd had a couple of lads who were out injured, I'd be a bit more confident. But I think we can give West Ham a game. I think for us, it's it's like it was at Blackburn. It's keeping the the home team out for as long as possible, trying to trying to take our our chances when they come. And we did create a few at Blackburn, and then you never know really after that. Obviously, the the pressure such as that is 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 on you guys really. Um, so hopefully, the team will go out relaxed and and we'll get something from it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we would obviously from our side, we'd hope that the pitch being a bit better at London Stadium than it was at Stockport, quite boggy up there, which uh, which was a bit of a leveler. You'd hope that on the London Stadium that we've got a uh, we've got a bit more about us. I just want to, before we let you go and get a score prediction off you, Glenn, I'm tell you a quick story. I, I hate to break this to you, but there was in fact one person who we tried to get on the podcast for the Opposition View before, and it was James Coppinger, or James Coppinger, you'll tell me how to pronounce his name correctly. So I did a bit of research because I thought, oh, he's a Doncaster legend. Uh, he was playing the last time. We played him in the championship. I'll uh, I'll have a quick look. So I did a bit of Googling, or just Googled him straight away, and his name came up as the uh, uh, presenter of some Donker, like a club podcast. So yeah. I thought, oh, he does a bit of media as well. He, he might be up for that. So I emailed the media department and uh, said, yeah, I'll have a word, and came back to me and said, I'm sorry, James um, has said that because he's not playing on Saturday, uh, that he's not doing any media. And I laughed thinking, well, obviously he's not playing. The bloke's about 40. He must have retired at least five years ago. And he's actually still playing for you at 40 yeah. years of age. I was dumbfounded when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> is he, How yeah. long has he been there? And is he still any sort of good? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's So Cops joined us in 2004. So <laughs> he's, he's the only player in the squad you know, by some distance to have, to have played at our old ground at Bellevue. Obviously, he scored in the the game down at Upton Park as well that that championship season. Um, he's still a great player. You know, I think he's got that benefit in midfield where pace was never a huge part of his game. He's a creative player, but he's he's never been like a you know a burner burner fullback on the outside sort of player. Is that is a footwork and he's an intelligent footballer. And he can still do that. He's not featured as much as a lot of us would have liked this season, actually. He was he was a big part of last season. Um, he's played a few this season. He's been in and out a bit. I think he's picked up a, a knock last week. It was only his 40th birthday this week. So he's yeah, still, yeah. you know, still quite young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is, it is not, I mean, he's done a few things for us, uh, for the fans in the years. He's a really great bloke. Um, so I messaged him a, a happy birthday message the other day and, commented that it was a very conveniently timed calf strain for his 40th birthday celebrations so. <laughs> but yeah he's still a, he's still a great talent and he's as I said before you know there's a few players that were without this coming Saturday that, we, that we'd like to have available and he's one of them you know his, his age is is not a factor he's been a key player for us well th- throughout his 30s as he was in his 20s yeah, absolutely incredible that 40 years of age and still play. Look, Glenn, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Before we let you go, give us a quick score prediction for Saturday's game. London Stadium, West Ham v Doncaster, three o'clock kickoff, fourth round of the FA Cup. Oh, I, I didn't know there was going to be a prediction involved. I wouldn't have said, yeah. Um, I'm going to go one all and then it's a free for all on penalties. <laughs> one all and a free for all on penalties I don't think that's nice. what we would like at all James and Tom before we let Glenn go what are your predictions Jonesy I'll go to you first um, 
definitely don't want a penalty shootout because we're not very good at those. Um, his, history says that if he goes to penalties, Doncaster will win that. But um, no, I'm, I'm given the form we're in, um, and given the, our lack of squad depth, I think we'll, we'll be forced to play a relatively strong side. Uh, I think it, I think we'll, it's not going to be a walk two 0 Two nil. Tom Edwards, uh, what are you saying? I've still got uh, flashbacks from when El Hadjouf and Doncaster turned up to our place under Allardyce, and, and I think they drew one all with us. So, so I think it's going to be a grim day. Um, I'm going to say two one. I think we'll just nip it, but I think we'll get a big scare, and uh, everyone will be loving it for about thirty minutes, and then we'll turn up. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know what? I fancy us. I think on our own patch. Couple of good results, full of confidence. Even though we haven't got a striker, I'm going to go for three nil. But Glenn, absolutely brilliant to have you with us. That's Glenn there, Glenn Wilson from the popular stand fanzine. Uh, all things Doncaster Rovers. Looking ahead to that game on Saturday at the London Stadium. But stay with us because next up is name that game. So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Thomas Edwards and James Jones. That was Glenn Wilson there from the popular stand fanzine chatting the FA Cup game against Doncaster on Saturday. But last week on Name That Game, we had some controversy. James Jones accused me of giving Tom an opportunity to give an answer when it should have been his go. It was a bit of a calamity for Jonesy. He fell to bits after that. It completely threw him. He didn't get a point for the entire round. He said that West Ham played Palermo in 2015-16 rather than the 06-07 season when it actually was. He had a bit of a shambles, but fair play to James. He went through all the correct channels and processes, put in a formal complaint. There was a steward's inquiry in the week. And I did make a mistake and uh, gave Tom the opportunity to answer a question uh, for the opponent rather than James. So what I've done, I've struck a point off of Tom's score for last week. And James and Tom have now got the opportunity to battle for that point as we speak. So, boys, uh, just to run you down what's going on, basically, uh, the West Ham Palermo game at Palermo was the game that I did last week. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to give you both a chance. Uh, James will be going first and you'll give me one player each who started that game at Palermo. So James will go first, then it will go to Tom, then it will go to James. The first player to get one wrong is the loser and the other one gets the point on the overall scores for name that game. Is that clear to both of you? Just for West Ham, sorry, just the game just, for West just, Ham. Just West Ham, just West Ham only, yes. I need the, it can be any position. You just need to give me a player who started the game. So this is the uh, away game. Yeah, yeah. 1-0 defeat in, uh, sorry, the 3-0 defeat in Palermo. So, uh, James Jones, like I say, you're getting the advantage because I was more unfair on you last week so one of the 11 players who started in Palermo uh, on the 28th of September 2006 James Jones please <laughs> oh, I'm going to do so bad at this uh, I'm going to say Nigel Rio Coca Nigel Rio Coca is correct, captain on the night. So, James, that's one for you. Tom, I need any player who started from that night, please. Uh, Javier Mascarano. 
Javier Mascherano is correct. It goes back to James Jones. Daniel Gabadon. Daniel Gabadon is correct. Well done, James Jones. Tom, back to you, please. Um, next to him, I'll go uh, James Collins played to that night. James Collins is correct. That's two correct answers each. The pressure is ramping up. It's showing on James Jones. Which is face. mental, by the way. <laughs> it's mental that he played in that. Jonesy, yeah. pressure's on. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Carlos Tevez. Carlos Tevez is correct. James Jones, well played. Thomas Edwards, an answer from you, please. Um. Next to him, I'll go. I know he was there at the time. It might be Colton Cole. Carl Cole is correct. Tom Edwards makes it free. Oh, the tension in the Zoom call tonight. He could break it with a knife. James Jones, three all so far. You've got five players left who started on that night. Name, please. Man. Why is this so difficult? It is hard. Um, just trying to remember, but my mind is completely blank. I'm going to say Robert Green. Robert Green is wrong. James oh. Jones has lost the point in goal on that night. It was Roy Carroll. The full 11 was as follows. Roy Carroll, Danny Gabadon, Paul Koncheski, Jonathan Spector, James Collins, Javier Mascarano, Lee Boyer, Nigel Rio Coca, Carlton Cole, Marlon Harewood and Carlos Tevez. So the scores remain as they were at the end of the contested round last week. So which puts Tom Edwards out in the lead. We've got a new leader finally on 23.5 points. James Jones on 23. Me still floundering at the bottom with 19 points on name that game. So I'm glad we've got put that one to bed. And James Jones, please take it away with name that game for this week and we've got 8 minutes 44 seconds to fit this in to section 5 okay, so today's uh, first uh, clue which is the interesting fact or stat is the two players uh, who scored in this game also played today Tuesday night Very Monday, yeah, good. Tuesday night. That, yeah I like that a lot uh, I'm going to go for scoreline 3-1. That is incorrect. Um, Two players today. I couldn't guess. uh, 2-0. Incorrect. Um, What was the scoreline, James? The scoreline was 2-1. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, Listen, goal scorer. I've got a clue. Um, Jamie Vardy. Um, well, he didn't play no, today, did he? Correct. Not Jamie Vardy. Um, opposition. Uh, How Robson Carnu. Uh, How Robson Carnu was incorrect. Right. Okay. Uh, so the the opposition goal scorer was Felipe Coutinho. Ah. Oh. Go, yep, yeah, me, 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 me. Well, it is your go. 
Uh, One West Ham goal scorer, please. Angelo Ogbonna. That is correct. Yes. There we go. Correct. Tom. Uh, Stadium. And Upton Park. That's correct. Will Ponham. Ponham was Liverpool. That's correct. And the season. Uh, 2015-16. That's correct. Tie break. Tie break to me for the actual year, yeah? It needs to be the actual year. No, because if it's FA Cup, everyone knows it that year. If I'm giving it 2015... 2016. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. If Will's on the other end, if it's the FA Cup and the year's given, the FA Cup is never in the history competition ever taken part in the 15. So therefore, that cannot be the title question. Yeah, I did. I might not have known it was the FA Cup. You're assuming I knew. I just remember us beating Liverpool. I didn't know it was the FA Cup. But as I was the first one to answer, per the rules, um, it's 2016. Oh, well, just play the FA Cup. <laughs> James, is it 2016? Wait, if Joe, but I swear someone took the FA Cup before that. So we'll have to have a <laughs> James. It was 2016. Um, there you go. You know the rules, James. Stewards again. <laughs> absolutely no stewards there the person who gets the first correct answer right in the actual game gets to answer first in the tie break as we all know I didn't even know it was the FA Cup until you said it Tom but um, as you did 2016 absolutely brilliant win for me so Jonesy can you give uh, us a quick can you give us a quick update on the uh, overall scores after that yeah so I'm just updating them now so, Will, that, that takes you to 22. I'll take that. I'll take um, that. Which is just one behind me on 23. And uh, Tom extends his lead at the top to 25 and a half. 25 and a half. Impressive stuff. Impressive I'll stuff. <laughs> Tom, just there, uh, everyone at home. Tom's absolutely peppering the Zoom chat, which we only use for off-air instructions, just to let each other know who's asking the next question, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Tom has absolutely peppered it with stewards. FA Cup mentioned beforehand. Tom Edwards not having it at all, but for once, I think we are actually safe with um, the way name that game went. Then, so stay with us, obviously, next week because we we'll have another instalment. Tom Edwards has extended his lead at the top, but things are getting a little bit tighter, which is great. So stay with us on tonight's podcast because next up we've got Catherine Bat to sports journalist, WSL expert from the Daily Mail to cover the West Ham women. So name that game there and you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. A packed show so far and I'm delighted to say that we are joined on the line uh, returning guest to the We Are West Ham podcast. It's WSL expert, sports journalist from the Daily Mail, Catherine Back. Catherine, first of all, you've got your whole shirt on, Hull have beaten uh, at Crinton Stanley, free meal tonight, and Jared Bowen, former Hull player, has scored for West Ham. First, thanks for joining us again. And uh, how are you doing? Yeah, well, I'm much much better 
think it was. So, uh, and nice to see Jared back on, on the score sheet as well. Yeah, absolutely. West Ham women, let's get straight to it. They lost 1-0 to Tottenham at the weekend, which leaves them still 10th in the WSL, five points above Bristol City, but now seven points behind Tottenham, who uh, went up to 12 points. West Ham could have uh, overtaken them with a convincing win. Uh, no, sorry, got within one point of Spurs if they'd beaten them. It was a narrow defeat. Lucy Quinn came off the bench, scored the winner, and then got subbed off again, which was a bit of a confusing one. But uh, Ollie Harder's first game in charge, of course, of the girls. A little bit of a frustrating one. That was certainly a game that uh, I think certainly we were and the girls would have been targeting uh, for a win, what did you what did you make of the the result and and the, the performance and where it leaves the girls? Yeah, it's, it's a disappointing one for um, for Ollie in his first game in charge. He'd have been looking to to take at least a point from that one, um, and I think the defending for the goal was quite poor as well. He'd be quite disappointed with how how they conceded. Um, they're quite slow to react to. I think when when the goal went in, the initial shot had come and got blocked, and then the ball's allowed to come back into the box, and and they were just really slow to react. And that's something, obviously, they'll, they'll have to improve on um, going forward. I think, um, but judging by the game, they, they're trying to implement this kind of pressing style of football, which is quite popular um, at the minute in football. And that's going to take time to, for them to perfect that, to get that right. Um, so they're looking for, for more, than, more than what they put in on Sunday, but... Um, they obviously play Arsenal next to uh, on a little bit of the run, so um, maybe a good time to face them. I think Oli Harder, after the game, said that you know he was pleased with what he saw. Um, and the team did a lot of what he was looking for them to do, but they just lacked a little bit of cutting edge in the final third. Um, do you think, obviously, lost Rachel Daly. She's, um, she's, she didn't renew her loan spell. Do you think that that's something that he's going to want to address in terms of with some incomings, or do you think that there's enough talent in that squad that he can he can mould into the style of play and then eventually get that that final third production that you know that quite clearly he's lacking at the moment? I, th- I think we, he made clear in his first press conference that he is obviously looking to add to the squad if he can. Um, depends obviously what what's available, who, which players are available, and um, who he can bring in. I think I mentioned last time on the podcast that West Ham have got a striker that previously has scored a lot of goals in Martha Harris. And for some, whatever reason this season, it's whether it's low on confidence or the team not, not playing to, to her style, for some reason it's not quite worked. But if she can just get a goal, if it, it can kick on and she, she might sort of get back to the form that we've seen in the past. Um, using Rachel Daly was a blow because she's an experienced player and was someone who could hold the ball up, I think, we saw when, when West Ham played Chelsea, she was really good in that game. Um, and she had a couple of other chances to score as well. So losing her is a blow. Um, I think he will be looking to recruit, but again, it just it just depends on on resources and, and whether they want to wait until the summer and start again or, or whether they feel like they, they need to bring someone in now. Catherine, Matt Beard, former West Ham manager, has taken over at bottom place Bristol City. He said after their defeat at the weekend, I think they lost 4-0, uh, that 
you know, it wasn't that he seemed plenty in the week leading up to it to give him hope that they can stay up. Do you think that appointment, uh, Matt Beard taking over there, could smell danger as far as relegation goes for West Ham? Because Aston Villa, who are down there with them, only one point between West Ham and Villa at the moment. Obviously, a bit more of a goal for five points between West Ham and Bristol City. But do you think that appointment could make a difference and, and be nervous times perhaps for West Ham? Well, I, th- I think um, Bri- Bristol appointing Matt Beard was a good appointment because he's obviously we know he's experienced and um, he'll be looking to get the team organised, especially more, more organised than they were at the weekend. But that'll take time as well. It's not going to come overnight. Uh, they are quite they are poor defensively, Bristol. They concede a lot of goals and that's going to be something that he really has to work on if they, they've got any hope of um, staying up. But as you say, one win and then I think they're they're within is it one or one or two points of West Ham and suddenly you start looking over your shoulder and it gets a little bit nervous. Looking at Villa at the weekend, maybe that sort of takes the the nerves away because again they're very very poor against Man City who were missing players um, again defensively left a lot to be desired. Um, but West Ham know that. They can't really afford to slip up in the in the games that they play against the two teams below them. Just just got to make sure they don't lose. Um, unless unless Bristol kind of put a little run together, that's when they maybe start getting nervous. But um, we've not seen yet. Uh, Catherine, next up, West Ham have Durham in the WSL Cup in the quarterfinal. How um how much will Oli Harder and, and the team be looking at as a chance to build up momentum and potentially get? in the deeper deeper end of a cup, or will they be primarily focused on addressing the league form and uh, starting to build a solid foundation? He'll want to win the game, definitely, because it's a chance to build confidence. It's a chance to perhaps score a few goals. Uh, but I, I think Durham will be a difficult game because they're having a very good season in the Championship. Um, it might depend how, how Durham approach it as well. Um, still in the, in the title race in, in the Championship. So whether they'll go full strength or whether they might rotate things, I think West Ham will want to win. They'll be quite disappointed that they've been drawn against Chelsea, the winners of Chelsea or Man City um, in the semi-final they get through, because obviously the other side of the draw was Leicester or Bristol, which we would have probably they'd have backed themselves to to get through to a final. Then, um, so it's going to be a tricky game if they do get through. But it's just a chance to build confidence. And as we saw in in the group stage when they they put four goals past Charlton, that was obviously a performance that that hopefully sort of built a little bit of confidence and, and hopefully they can do that again. Yeah, that, that confident that the victory against Charlton, unfortunately, um, come just before Matt Beer's departure. So good for good for Ollie to to get underway. Just a shame it was with a defeat at the weekend. But yeah, it would be that seems like a good chance for him to get his first win uh, under his belt. That's at home to Durham in, as Tom mentioned there, the League Cup quarter final Thursday night, 5.30 kickoff. For those of you who want to keep tabs on that game. And then, Catherine, talk about a baptism of fire after that for Ali Harder. Arsenal away on Sunday, back in WSL action. They lost 9-1 at home to the Gunners earlier this season. And a game they were in for parts of, and then sort of a, a quick fire uh, calamity collapse, if you like. Um, are you expecting more of the same as it was earlier in the season on Sunday, or you know, do you, do you sort of give them half a chance of at least keeping the score down? No, I don't. I don't think it'll be the same as it was at the start of the season. Um, actually, in that previous game, um, they did level to make it one-one, and then 
lost the captain um, to a sending off and then obviously the floodgates opened. I still think they probably would have lost um, had she not been sent off, but that didn't help the situation. But I think West Ham will still have a lot of scars from that game as well. It was uh, it was on TV, I think. Every, you know, everyone was watching. It was Matt Beard sort of laid into his players after the game. Um, and they'll have a lot of bad memories from that one. So they'll be desperate to, to put in a better performance. Um, as I was mentioning earlier, Arsenal are actually not on a great run themselves. They dropped points against Reading. Um, low on confidence. They had that Dubai controversy that, that a few clubs had. Um, so perhaps maybe a good time to play Arsenal if there, if there ever is a good time to play them. Um, it could, of course, work the other way if Arsenal really need a result and, and come out firing. But if it's going to be ever a good time to play them, I would say it's now. Yeah, absolutely. Catherine, before we let you go, just on that, you mentioned the COVID stuff there. Um, obviously, you're, you're a sports journalist, so you were covering the issues as they unfolded. What was your, what was your take on the whole thing? Because it was the first time, it seemed, that the, uh, some of the like, women footballers have, uh, you know, come. we see it all the time in, in the men's game where, you know, players just seem really far removed from reality and from the real world and from the people who pay their wages, etc. We've heard all that. And we heard some similar criticisms of the uh, the women involved, there were some Arsenal players, as you mentioned. Um, some, I think, a Leicester player was out in Dubai as well. Alicia Lehman from West Ham went to the Maldives with her PSG playing partner, Ramona Backman. There was, it just seemed to be, there was some quite, quite a big outburst of anger uh, at some of the women players, which there hasn't really been this sort of up until then. It seemed like the first big controversy. What did you make of that whole thing from your perspective? All right. Honestly, uh, it, it from from club to club. Obviously, I think there was about four Manchester City players that went, and at the time, and obviously a few from Man United as well. And they were in Tier Three, so technically they, they didn't break any laws by going, but they did put themselves at risk, and they put their teammates at risk. Um, obviously, we, it was mentioned in the press about Steph Holton's husband, for example in one degree and her teammates go over Charlotte and end up having COVID and then possibly risk you know passing it on to a teammate who, who may live with someone that's vulnerable um same Arsenal obviously Jen Beatty had it was it just come out before Christmas that she was recovering from cancer and you know three or four of her teammates go over again sort of put put people at risk and I think that was kind of what annoyed people and then sort of the lack of an apology and a lack of kind of acknowledging it and saying, you know, okay, we made a mistake, we shouldn't have gone. And the only person to actually come out and do that was Casey Stoney, who didn't go, obviously approved the trips for her players to go with the right intentions. But in hindsight, obviously, it wasn't the right thing to do. But uh, none of her squad actually came back and tested positive in the end. So I understood the outrage from fans, especially because fans can't get in to watch the games and and you see players going, going on holiday and of a holiday, but I think you know football is in a privileged position where they can still go to work and um, obviously take taking the risk, which I think probably it wasn't an essential journey. Um, supposedly Arsenal approved some of the trips as as business trips. I have to go to Dubai on, on business over Christmas. Um, I just think that it's say it was, it was a lot of mistakes by by the clubs and the players, and it would have been nice if I think maybe some of the players had just admitted that they made a mistake, but. I think we've moved past it now. Um, the Arsenal manager, Joe Munchman, eventually came out last week and apologised as well. So hopefully maybe we'll, we'll see a bit more thought process behind those types of things in the future. 
Fair enough. Yeah, good to get your your take on that. Well, Catherine, it's been a pleasure to chat to you again. Uh, just quickly then, just give us a couple of quick score predictions for West Ham's upcoming games before we let you go. Durham at home in the League Cup Thursday and then Arsenal away on Sunday. Um, I'd, I'd say for uh, betting West Ham to beat Durham, um, I'll go with a 3-1, 3-1 victory for West Ham in that one. The Arsenal is quite hard to predict because... I still think Arsenal are the favourites to win, but I do think West Ham have just got that slight chance with with the Reading result uh, last weekend. Um, If I'm being optimistic for West Ham, I'll say a 1-1 draw. And I think if it's going to be a winner, it'll probably probably be Arsenal, but I'll, I'll stay optimistic on the West Ham side. (laughs) <laughs> excellent stuff excellent stuff well Catherine Bat, their sports journalist and WSL expert from the Daily Mail thanks very much for joining us that is pretty much it for the We Are West Ham podcast tonight but stay with us because we'll have a very brief update on the Fantasy Premier League standings and some final thoughts next So that is it for this week. What a packed show that was. I hope you enjoyed that podcast because uh, I think we packed loads into that tonight after recording after the victory against West Brom, which is brilliant. Just a quick fantasy Premier League update. We're obviously in the middle of a double game week at the moment. So just some brief points, updates for me and the lads. We'll go into it in more detail next week. I am on 89 this week, uh, double game weeks for Aaron Cresswell, Mikhail Antonio doing me a favour. Also triple captain Kevin De Bruyne. So fingers crossed he does something against Aston Villa to keep that tally up. Jonesy, what are you on for this week so far? Right now, 78. Uh, also, brought in Antonio, who's uh, done very well, and uh, Sue Fowl as well with the assist tonight. It's bumped me up some points, so I've got 78 points so far. Lovely. Tom, what are you on? Uh, I am on the lowly 47, but I've got 10 players left to play, so uh, I've got 10 games, 10 game weeks left to play, and a triple captain, so I'm, pretty, I'm in a good spot. You've triple captain this week as well? I've triple captained uh, Bruno Fernandez away at Fulham. Mm. Um, fingers crossed. He got so I've got nine points for his uh, that those. Bear Ashley, I'm on fifty three points because his triple captain hasn't come in for the, right. the Liverpool game. But fair play. Uh, he he's got the armband for Fulham. Fair play. Well, look, it's been a great show tonight. I hope you've enjoyed it. Do follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. We are on Instagram as well. Please leave us a review if you can. If you didn't like what uh, all those nice words that Miriam said about me earlier on, or if you just want to give us a bit of a ribbon, we love reading them out and we will uh, we will give them an airing. So you'll get a shout out on the podcast next week. Subscribe to the YouTube channel underneath if you can. The link to that is in the podcast description below. But that is it for this week West Ham two wins in two with seventh place in the Premier League and just five points off of the leaders no clever words or clever goodbye from me this week just reveling it because we're doing really well fingers crossed that West Ham sign a striker before the month is up but we will be back next Tuesday to chat about it whether we have or we haven't thanks for joining us keep the faith up the hammers and we'll see you next week Podcast Network.